0: Well, about a week before going to Calvary Chapel's Bible College, my dad set me down and and gave me some good advice. He basically told me, you know, you're never going to get a time like this again. And he was speaking of a time like this where, you know, I'm not going to have the responsibility of a full-time job. I'm not going to have the responsibility of a family. That the only thing that is expected of me during this time is to study the Bible, to grow in my relationship with the Lord. And so the, the advice was, don't waste it. If you waste this now, that there's never going to be a time again where you can just solely focus on, you know, just being taught the word of God and growing in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, and that was some good advice. Good advice that gratefully I took. Uh, and so I took advantage of my time at the Bible College and, and was greatly rewarded uh, because of it. But, you know, all of us receive advice. You know, sometimes it's good advice, like my dad gave me in that time. Sometimes it's bad advice. And as we are hearing this advice from people, we have to determine, you know, first of all, is it good or is it bad? And then more importantly, are we going to accept it? Are we going to take this advice and are we going to live uh, based on the advice that we were given? Well, here in Exodus chapter 18, Moses is going to get some advice from his father-in-law. Now, for those with in-laws, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, they love to give advice, don't they? They love to come over and tell you how to run your home and do all different things. But he's going to get some advice from his father-in-law, Jethro, and it's going to be advice that's really centered on Moses' leadership. Uh, and we're going to learn some important things tonight about leadership. He's going to ter- share with Moses some advice of the priorities that a leader should have. He's going to share with him the importance of delegating leadership to other godly people. And then he's going to share with him the benefits that will come if he'll put this advice into practice. And so tonight we're going to learn some lessons about how to be a good godly leader. What our priorities should be, what godly qualities we should possess, the importance of delegating to others, and how this will benefit us, and those that we are leading. So let's see what we have here. Jethro comes on the scene. Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 1, says this. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the names of one was Gershom. For he said, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife, and her two sons with her. Now, if you remember back in Exodus, when Moses, you know, kills an Egyptian and flees Egypt, he ends up in Midian, and he shows up at this well, and he's at this well, he sees these girls coming out to collect water, and there's these kind of thugs there, and you know, Moses protects the girls from these guys, and then he draws water from them, and he discovers that all these girls are sisters, and their father is a man by the name of Jethro, who is the priest of Midian. And so Jethro is impressed with Moses protection of his daughters and he invites him to stay in his tent uh and you know ultimately gives Moses his daughter Zipporah to marry they get married and then Moses starts working for Jethro uh, uh tending to his flock and he does this for 40 years. And after 40 years of being in this family, having his father-in-law there, serving him in this capacity, we know what takes place. He's out there tending the uh, flock, and all of a sudden there's a burning bush, and we have that amazing scene where God calls him to go to Egypt to deliver the nation of Israel. But Moses comes to Jethro, realizes, hey, I know you depend on me, I know that, you know, I take care of all your sheep, or are you okay with my departure? And Jethro says, you know what, go in, Peace. So, so that's the last time that we see Jethro. It's when Moses departs from Midian to go to Egypt. And obviously a lot has transpired since Moses has left. But news is spread from Egypt to Midian of the things that God has been doing. Now, I'm sure that Jethro kind of was like, you know, maybe not so sure of what Moses was called to do. You know, okay you're going to go and God's sending you to Egypt for your people. Well, you know, go in peace. Uh, He probably didn't expect to hear about these plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and, and all the things that transpired. And so Jethro's hearing a little bit of news and he's going to meet up with Moses. But he's got another reason for meeting up with Moses. He's got Moses's wife and sons. And so this is kind of an interesting thing here where we're told that Moses sent them back to Midian, but we have no accounts earlier on of when or why this took place. So we don't know when it was, we don't know why Moses says, hey, Honey, you and the sons, you need to go back to your father-in-law. Some commentators think it's because, you know, things were getting pretty crazy there in Egypt. The plagues were hitting and Moses just thought, you know what, you'd probably be safer if you're back with your dad uh, in Midian until all this settles over. But we're not told when or why uh, it took place, but they're not with him. And now they're getting this kind of family reunion reunion father-in-law is bringing his daughter and Moses' sons back to him. And so now we come to this, you know, um, little reunion between Jethro and Moses. And let's see what happens in verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being. And they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So Moses goes out, he meets with Jethro and, you know, he bows down before him, he kisses him. They, they have this, you know, time and he says, hey, you know, come back to my tent. And they, they want to get caught up. They want to kind of, you know, connect with one another. And Moses, notice what Moses does. We're told he tells Jethro all the Lord has done for him and for the Israelites. And he also shares all the hardships. So he gives a full blow by blow, not just, you know, the, the exciting stuff, but the hardships with the purpose of bringing the fact that the Lord delivered us. Oh man, we had the hardship of a hard-hearted Pharaoh, but man, God brought 10 plagues and delivered us out. We had the hardship of the Red Sea and we were trapped, but God parted it. We had the hardship of them coming after us, but God brought the waters together and destroyed them. We had the hardship of no food and no water, but God delivered us by providing these things miraculously. And I'm sure as as Jethro is hearing this amazing account of how God took care of his son-in-law and these millions of people, it um, impacted him in a pretty powerful way. And we know it did because verses 9 through 12 tell us the impact that Moses' testimony about how God delivered them had on Jethro. Notice what took place. Verse 9, Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer God, And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So notice this, as Moses is sharing the account after account after account of what God has done to deliver the nation of Israel, it impacts Jethro, the listener to what God had done, and we see three positive ways it impacted him. First, it brought rejoicing to Jethro's heart. We're told, then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord God had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. So it says, Jethro's hearing this, there's a rejoicing of, wow, I would have never expected Moses when you told me you were gonna go that all of this was gonna transpire, that God was gonna do so many miraculous, amazing things. It brings joy to my heart to hear how God has delivered you. Second, it brought confirmation to Jethro's mind. Notice what we're told. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Hearing what God did, hearing the 10 plagues, hearing how, remember, each one of those plagues was really an attack on the false gods of Egypt. And as he hears this, he has a confirmation that he says, you know what? The Lord truly is greater than all the gods. Now we don't know up to this point in time if Jethro really was fully and believing the, the one and only true God. There are commentators who believe that he was, as the priest of Midian, connected to um, Abraham and his second wife, Keturah. They had children, and that's where the Midianites came from. So it's possible that, that he was someone who believed in the true God, but you know, we don't know. There are commentators who believe that right at this moment was the moment that Jethro gets converted. The moment that he finally recognizes who the real God is and comes to a place that he truly is greater than all the rest. Now, you know, So this could have been like a conversion experience. This could have just been a deepening of his understanding of you know, the, the depths of who God is in comparison to all the rest. But, but either way, this news from Moses confirms in a very powerful way a truth to Jethro's mind. The Lord truly is greater than all the gods. And third, it brought a deeper devotion to Jethro's relationship with God. We're told then Jethro took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Jethro before God. So hearing what God has done, it brings us joy. It brings us understanding of how great he is in comparison to the rest. But notice also, it brings us deeper devotion. I, I want to sacrifice. I, I want to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. I, I want to just respond to God for who he is and, and what he's done. It brings us greater devotion to Jethro's life. Now, there's something important I want you to note here. The rejoicing, the confirmation of the truth of how great God is, this deeper devotion in Jethro, all were made possible. All are a results of the fact that Moses took the time to share the testimony of what God had been doing. That's what all this stems from. Moses is saying, hey, Jethro, let me share what God has done. Let me share the testimony of his deliverance. Let me share what he's done for me personally. Let me share what he's done for the the Israelites as a whole. And because Moses took the time to share with Jethro these things about what God had done, it brought this impact in these three ways to Jethro's life. And I think this is a great example for us to follow. To recognize when we take the time to share with people a testimony of what God has done, a testimony of his faithfulness, of his deliverance, what he's doing in us personally, or maybe he was doing in our family or or in our church as a whole or, or in any way. When we take the time to communicate to people these truths about God and his deliverance and his greatness and his miracles, man, realize that it can bring the same kind of Results where people now are rejoicing because of that, their minds are, are coming to a realization of how great God truly is, and, and hopefully bring a deeper devotion or maybe even salvation. Uh, and so you know, this is something that you know we should put into practice, recognizing that when we take the time to share with others the great things God is doing, it's a blessing. And I think it's a blessing to us. I'm sure Moses was blessed. You know, as he's sharing with his father-in-law, just seeing the rejoicing, seeing how his father-in-law had this new perspective of God. And, and hey, let's go sacrifice. Let's offer burnt offerings. I'm sure it moved Moses and like, wow, this is great. I'm so happy to see this in my father-in-law. So this is something that we can be a part of if we'll take the time to communicate the things that God is doing in and through us as well. Well, now Jethro, his his visit hasn't ended He's there, he's spending some time, and he's going to see Moses' day-to-day life. And this is where he's going to offer some advice to Moses. And so let's see what happens in verse 13 through 18. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, He said, What is this thing that you were doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. So, after this time of sharing with Jethro, the next day comes and Moses just gets back to his typical duties. And notice what we see him doing. We're told that he's just judging the people from morning to evening, sitting and judging the people. Stephen Cole wrote this. Sat and stood are technical terms of Semitic law denoting judge and litigant respectively. So when it says that Moses sat to judge the people, have in mind literally like a courtroom with a judge who who is there, who is sitting down and the people are standing, bringing their case before Moses. Whatever problems that they have and they need a judge to ultimately, you know, declare one person's right, one person's wrong, makes some kind of judgment, uh, in what's going on. That's what's happening. And imagine with a group of millions of people, how many disputes? Some petty and small, some big and significant, but there would be many that would be regularly happening of, oh, he stole my sheep and this happened or this took place and all these things. Well, we're going to bring it to Moses. He's going to declare to us these things. And so all day long from morning to evening, Moses is sitting judging the different things and problems that we see the nation of Israel has. Well, Jethro sees this. He's watching this. He recognized Moses spends his whole day in judgment over the people, and he sees something. He saying that this is a problem. And so he comes to Moses and he asks him, Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? Well, Moses responds, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So so every time there's a difficulty, the Israelites are going to come to me. They want to know, all right, Moses, we need to know what God says about this. What are we supposed to do here? And what are we supposed to do there? Show us his law. Show us his statutes. Judge for us how we should respond in these ways. Now, you got three million people. That's a lot of difficulties. And the reality is one man is not capable of judging that many cases. Jethro recognizes this and he says to Moses, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Now, don't miss what Jethro's saying here. When he says this thing is not good, he's not saying, Moses, it's not good for you to stand here and judge the people's problems and tell them you know where God's standard is and what God would want, but that's not what he's saying isn't good. He's not saying Moses is not good because you know what, you're unfit. I, I had you for 40 years as my son-in-law. You have no business being a judge over the people. He's not saying that. He's not saying Moses is not be good because this is beneath you. I mean, your job is so much bigger. Bigger than this. This isn't something that you should be investing time in. He's not saying that. He's not saying Moses is not good because the people don't want to hear your judgments. None of those reasons are the reason why Jethro says Moses, this isn't good. The reason say he says the thing that you were doing is not good is because the job was just too big for one person to do alone. And that's what he emphasizes. The thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. He's not saying it shouldn't be performed. It shouldn't be done. He's just saying, you can't do it all, Moses. I mean, look at this. you got millions of people. You're spending all day long judging this. This is too much for any one person to try to take on for themselves. If Moses is going to continue to do this, he says, you and the people, you're going to get worn out. This is what the end result's gonna be. Moses, you're gonna get worn out because this is just way too difficult. Way too much for one person to try to handle. You're gonna burn out quick. But you know what? You're gonna burn out the people. Cause imagine you have this, you know, case that you need to be brought before Moses and they're like, hey, let me schedule you in. You know what? Yeah. Uh, three months from now, you can go because he's already got three months of people before you. Well, by then, you know, my sheep will be dead or by then this will happen. So They would get worn out having to wait constantly to get and stand before just the one guy that they can come to for judgment. So Moses has taken on more than he can handle, especially looking to the future. Yeah, you might be able to do this today, Moses, but can you do this for the next year? The next five years, the next 10 years, is this something that you can continue without it burning you out? G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. Men called by God to lead are always in danger of attempting to accomplish more than they are able. Yeah, I know this to be true in my own life. In the ministry that God has given me, I know that there have been many times that I have tried to take on more than I am physically capable of handling. And ultimately, if you continue down that road, you'll burn out. And statistically speaking, a lot of pastors and a lot of people in ministry burn out because of this reality that they take on more than they should. They're they're, they're taking on themselves something that should be several people doing it, but it's just one person doing it. And there's different reasons for why, but ultimately it's just not good in the long term. So Jethro has some good advice for Moses and anyone involved in leading God's people, but now he's going to give some specifics of what Moses can do. Notice what he says in verses 19 through 20. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. So before uh, Jethro gives Moses even more practical advice, he starts with priorities. Or get, let me let me share something with you about leadership, Moses. If you want to lead effectively this people, you're going to have to have some top priorities of things that you're going to do, which is going to mean that other things that perhaps you're doing now, you can't do as much of because these priorities need to come first. And he says, let me give you three Three top priorities that you should have as a leader of these people. And let me say, these are great priorities for any role of leadership, whether it be in the church, whether it be in the home, whether it be anywhere. These are great priorities for us to have as we lead others. And so Jethro shares these three things. The first priority that Jethro gives is the priority of prayer. Notice what he says, stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. What Jethro is saying is, Moses, you need to stand before God in the sense of you need to be praying on behalf of these people. Bring the difficulties of these people to God in prayer. So he's kind of saying, reverse what's going on now. Instead of having the people stand before you all day long and you judging every single case, you stand before God on their behalf in prayer. Make the priority praying for them as opposed to listening to everything that they have going on and trying to practically judge that yourself. Bring those problems to the Lord. I think one of the greatest things that a leader can do for those that he is serving is to pray for them. That should be a priority. That should be something that we don't neglect, something that, that we don't set aside. And it's such an easy thing to do because when you get, you know, all there's all these things that need to happen and all these people and their needs and they're asking for this and that. And the next thing, I guess prayer is just not going to happen today. No, that's not how it should be. It's, hey, this is a priority. And if I can't meet with you, that's okay. If I can't do this, that's fine. I'm not going to neglect the more important thing, which is praying for the different people and the different situations that the Lord has made me a leader over. Before we study, teach, serve, counsel, we should be in prayer. We should make that a priority. You know, and this this is not just a, a priority for church leaders. Well, of course, you know, pastors should pray. Yeah, all Christians should do this. And whatever leadership capacity you have, that should be a priority. If you're a parent and you have leadership role over your kids, which you do, you should be praying for them. You know, that should be a priority. Oh, you know, we, we do so much practically for our kids, which is great. But how much time do we really spend praying for them? That's going to make a huge impact. If you've got a job, you know, Invest a lot of time praying, praying for co-workers. In any capacity that you have in leadership, you should be praying. So Jethro challenges Moses, instead of spending all your day standing before the people, judging their problems, make priorities to pray and stand before God instead. The second priority that Jethro gives is the priority of teaching the word of God. Notice he says, and you shall teach them the statutes in the laws. This is interesting because when Jethro asked Moses, you know, why do you do this, Moses? Why do you spend all day by yourself judging the people? And Moses was like, well, I got a great answer for you, father-in-law. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the statutes and laws of God. So he said, hey, I got to do this. They they don't really know what God wants of them. They don't know his statutes and laws. And so they got to come to me so that I can judge for them and let them know these things. Okay, well, I like it that Moses, well, let me share this with you. Why don't you make it a priority to teach them God's statutes and laws? Why don't you do that? So guess what? When they start learning that, They're not going to have to come to you for everything. There might be some big things that they still don't know that you're going to be needed for. But a lot of this stuff that you're standing and, and judging over, they can handle that themselves. If they knew God's word and they knew his statutes, then they would know what he's wanting of them. And they could just deal with that themselves. They wouldn't need you. So teach them. Help them learn it for themselves. And you can take away a lot of the problems that you're having to judge because of it. Teaching the word of God, that's another essential priority for anyone who's going to be in any type of leadership, especially church leadership. You know, this is why when, when Paul is telling Timothy, you know, what to look for when you're looking for, you know, the qualities of a pastor, an elder, overseer, everything that he shares is ultimately character issues. But there's one ability, the ability to teach the word of God. It's so, like, hey, this is something that we need. If someone's going to be in this position, in this role, in this leadership, they have to have the gifting and ability to communicate God's word and teach it to others because it's so important. You know, this is really the thing that first drew me to Calvary Chapel. Now, I grew up in a denomination that didn't really make the teaching of God's word a priority. Uh, and it was something that, you know, I didn't really, couldn't put my finger on why there were so many unbiblical practices and issues and things I didn't really like. And I found out, you know, it was because, you know, the leadership didn't teach the word very well. The congregation didn't really know the word very well. And when that happens, people do a lot of unbiblical things. And it's not necessarily because they just want to be blatantly, you know, against what God has for them. But they're just ignorant because they haven't been taught well. And I love the fact that, you know, the movement taught people and gotten plugged in with it. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. The Christian pastor is in some respects comparable to Moses, for he is set apart as a leader in the band of brethren. And as such, his business is not only to teach the people, but to plead for them with God. So these two things, the first two priorities that Jethro brings up, hey, you know what? You need to have a priority of prayer, a priority of teaching if you're going to be an effective leader over God's people. But you know what? We we move from Exodus all the way to the book of Acts. We move from the leadership of Moses to the leadership of the apostles when the early church was being established. And we see that they have the same priorities and understanding of things. Notice what happens. There's a problem that comes and the leadership has to determine what are our priorities as leaders of this early church. Acts chapter six, starting in verse one, says this. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So as the early church is starting to grow, there's this problem that happens. And people bring this problem to the 12 apostles and the Hellenists, this group of widows, they're they're being neglected. And they're saying, hey, you guys, you 12, you need to make sure that they're not being neglected. You need to make sure that they have their needs met and you need to go and and serve them. And so they get together and they're like, what's the priority here? Should we leave what we're doing to meet this need, or should we try to meet this need in another way? And as they seek the Lord, they come to this realization that, you know what, we have two priorities that we should not neglect, the priority of prayer and the priority of the word. And so what we're going to do is we're going to appoint seven godly men full of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to allow them to meet this need of taking care of these widows. And so notice here that they're not drawn away like Moses was. Of you like, there's all this practical stuff. Well, let's just spend all day helping the widows. Or let's just spend all day judging the needs of the nation. No, no, no. We need to make sure we keep our priorities straight. So we're going to spend still the majority of our time in prayer and in the word. And this is something that's very important. You lose those priorities. So many things go wrong. Well, Jethro gives a third priority. It goes hand in hand with the first two, and in many respects, maybe the most important of all. The third priority that Jethro gives is the priority of being an example of what you teach. Notice he says, show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Don't just pray for them and teach them, but show it to them. Be an example of it to them. The Hebrew word translated show means to make known, instruct, or show through your example. And so that's what Jethro is saying is, hey, Moses, it's great that you instruct them and you tell them and you communicate what God wants. But even more important than that, you be the example. Let them see from your life that you are practicing what you preach, that you're doing these things and that they can also do them as well. You know, teaching is not very effective if you're not living out practically what you're preaching. And this is like, you know, I've been to conferences, marriage conferences, different things. And, and it's always a struggle when there's a, a guest speaker and maybe a couple and they're teaching on marriage. But you don't know if they have a good marriage. You don't know anything about them. And I always find it more powerful when, you know, even if they're not as good of a communicator, if I see a couple and I know them well and I think, man, you got an awesome marriage. And so whatever you communicate, it's just more powerful because I, I, I well, you're doing it. You know, it's not just, you know, oh yeah, well, the Bible says this, but it's like you've actually put it into practice. And there's something to that that brings power when you're actually putting into practice what you preach. So Jethro not only challenges Moses to to make prayer a priority, to make teaching a priority, but Moses, you got to live it out. you got to be a guy that is an example of those things to the people. So first, Jethro gives advice on the priorities of leadership. And now he's going to give another practical thing that Moses should do. Uh, and it's something that's going to enable him to put these priorities into exam into practice. Because he might be saying, well, that's nice, Jethro. It'd be great to spend a lot more time praying and teaching and, and living this stuff out. But who's going to judge these people? I mean, they still got all these problems. They still need someone to give them advice. So th- I'd love to make that my priority, but it's just practically not possible. Well, right now it might not be unless you do the next thing. Verse 21, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and law and show them the ways in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people, able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness and place such under them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So for Moses to be able to put these three priorities into practice, he's going to need help. He's going to need help in judging all the different things that Israel keeps bringing personally to him. And so Jethro says, well, here's the answer to your problem, Moses. Not only do you need to have a priority of prayer, a priority of the word, a priority of an example. You need to learn how to delegate leadership to people other than yourselves. So that those people can judge the majority of the issues that Israel has. When it's a big issue, they can still bring it to you. It's not like you neglect this completely, but there's plenty of smaller matters that they don't need you. That there's plenty of other people capable of judging those things and you just need to give them the authority to do it. You need to delegate leadership responsibility so that others can help you in this judgment. Now notice Jethro doesn't ask Moses, or doesn't say, hey, Moses, you need to delegate leadership and responsibility just to anybody. Moses, just grab some guys. It doesn't matter who they are. You know, you're a swamp. Just give some of this to other people. He doesn't say that. It says, Moses, you got to find some specific guys. Actually, there's going to be four specific qualities that you got to find. If you can't find a man with these, then look for another. Because these are the type of men that you want to find. And those are the guys, then, that you should delegate this leadership responsibility to. Delegation fails if the responsibilities are not and put in the hands of people fit for the job. Yeah, you can understand that. I mean, if I needed someone to go to Walmart and pick up a bunch of things for the church, you know, if I were to ask Scarlett or Eden to do that, they don't have a license, they can't get there, they can't drive there, they can't pick that up. You know, to give them that responsibility would just be bringing failure, why? Because they're not fit to do that. You shouldn't give responsibility to people who aren't fit and able to complete the job, and so Jesper was saying, "Hey, there's four specific qualities you should be looking for, so that when you do delegate, you delegate to people who can actually accomplish what you're giving them to do." Notice the first thing, really practical. They need to be those who are able. Responsibility shouldn't be ke- given to people who aren't able to fulfill that responsibility. And you can think of all sorts of things just within the church itself. You might have someone who comes, oh, I would love to lead the congregation in singing to the Lord and and in music. I just would be passionate about them. But if they can't sing, uh, then they can't play an instrument. That's just not something that you should delegate. I'm great that you have that heart, but you know what? You're not able to do that. Oh, I would just love to teach uh, any age group. It doesn't matter. But if they don't have the ability to teach... That shouldn't be something you delegate. Now, they might learn that and grow in that and in the future delegate it to them. But at the present time, that's not going to be something that you do. Oh, I'd love to be a part of administration. Oh, you're good at administering and you're organized. No, not at all. Well, okay. well, that's not something you're able to do. So that's not something we're going to delegate to you. So first, before you delegate a responsibility, make sure the person is able to fulfill that responsibility. That's a practical one. The rest are more spiritual. The second one's very important. Second, they should be those who fear God. You might have a very able person. And this is one of the problems that we see in the church world. Sometimes we're looking more for ability than character. More for, hey, look at how gifted they are instead of look at how much they fear God. Oh, look at how they can do this. and Oh, they're such a great communicator and they're so great at leading worship or whatever it may be. But yet they don't fear God. And when you don't fear God, there are things that you will choose to do, sins that you will commit, things that you will say that those who fear God won't. And there's a wisdom that you will be completely void of. Why? Because the Bible tells us it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. You need people who are wise in the things of God. And so they might be able and they might be capable. But yet if they don't have this, do not give them leadership spiritual responsibility it's going to be a problem for them it's going to be a problem for those that they're over people who don't fear god and sadly there's many examples in the church world that are just falling left and right doing things that are just completely against what god wants, and the consequences are pretty bad so the second thing is before you delegate a responsibility you got to make sure that person fears god and this is why paul when he speaks of timothy says don't lay hands on people too quickly Find out if they really do, because they could come in. You're like, man, this guy's gifted. Well, he's good. But until you know that they're really godly, that they fear God, that you see that in their life, you should just be like, well, we're just going to wait. We're going to wait to see. When people come and oftentimes they're here for a week or two, I want to get involved. Well, when you're here for a few months, we'll talk about it. But we need to find out where you're at. Hey, you might be gifted, but I don't really care if you're gifted. I want to know that you fear God. I want to know that you're godly before you put you in these roles. Third, they should be those who are of truth. I think it's interesting what it says they're of truth. It's not just men who speak the truth or, or know the truth. But when it's saying of truth, it's like what we just saw with the example. People who live it. Yeah, you got to know it before you can live it, but it's not just those who can stand around and say, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that, but I'm not going to do it. You know, do as I say, not as I do. That's not the kind of leadership that you want to delegate to. You want people who are of truth, who actually live it out. So third, before you delegate a responsibility, make sure people know God's word, but also live out God's word. And fourth, they should be those who hate covetousness. You know, responsibility shouldn't be given to people who have a problem with coveting, who have a problem with not being content with what they've been called to do, not being content with what they have, always looking at, oh, well, that person's is better. I'd rather have this and I want that, especially in the role that Moses has to give people, a role of judging. You know, what is it we never want? We don't want judges that are going to take bribes. We don't want judges that are going to be favoritism because, hey, what are you going to give me? Oh, you're going to give me that? Great. Then I, I, I'll rule for you. Oh, you're going to give me this? Wonderful. Then I'm going to rule for you. It doesn't matter what's right or wrong. According to God, it matters what I can get because I got a problem with covetousness. And so he's saying, hey, make sure you steer clear of those people. You're going to have lots of problems if you got people in ministry like that. People need to be mature enough to realize that I need to be more concerned about doing what's right than what I can get out of it. Unfortunately, there's too many people in ministry that are just focused on what they can get. So Jethro challenges Moses, delegate these responsibilities, but make sure you got people that meet these four specific qualities. They're able, they fear God, they're of the truth, and they hate covetousness. Those are the type of people that if you delegate things to, you're going to be doing well. If you delegate to people who don't make that list, You might not be having to judge that problem, but guess what? You're going to have a lot more problems that are going to come because you've chosen the wrong guys to put into leadership. But notice an important connection here. People with these four godly qualities, they don't just happen by chance. It's not like they just all of a sudden show up. And this is why the first three priorities are such an essential thing. That Moses needs to be praying for the people, teaching the people, being an example to the people. Why? Because through those priorities is where these people are now going to start developing these qualities. They're going to start being the ones who fear God. They're going to start being the ones who do these things and leave covetousness. And and are those ones that you can really start to see that they are of truth. They know the word. They live the word. Why? Well, they're being constantly taught and encouraged and invested in. And so these things go hand in hand that you got to be making prayer and teaching and being an example of priority so that you're seeing people raised up to start being those that you can give more leadership to. But if you're not doing the first three priorities, you're going to constantly be like, man, well, why is it that there's no one that we can, we don't find anybody with these four qualities. Well, maybe we should take a look in the mirror and say, are we doing enough to raise people up? Are we doing enough to invest in people to help them grow so that they can be in that place? And this is something that Paul told Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice what Paul shares here with Timothy. I want you to commit what you've heard to me, uh, from me. I've shared a lot with you, Timothy. I want you to take those truths and I want you to commit them to a certain group, not just to anybody, but to faithful men who are going to take what you say and go do that with other people. This is kind of what Jethro is saying to Moses. Hey, you know, you need to commit these things, the word, the truth to to people, but not just anybody. You got to find these guys with the right qualities so that they'll be the right leaders to go do the things that need to be done. Now, Jethro ends his advice to Moses in verse 23 by saying this, if you do this thing and God so commands you, Then you'll be able to endure and all the people will also go to their place in peace. Now, there's a very important phrase that Jethro throws in here, and I'm so glad that he does. And it just gives a real good understanding of advice, why we should take it, why we shouldn't take it. Notice what he says, this phrase, and God so commands you. Then say, hey, Moses, just listen to what I say and do it. You're going to be blessed. If you believe that God is the one ultimately commanding you to do this, you should do it. But if you don't believe that God is the one commanding you to do this, well, then it's just my opinion and just, you know, disregard it. You should only be taking this advice if it's something you're convinced God is commanding you to do. And this is the same thing for all of us. You know, if we're going to have advice, which we all get advice that we're seeking, we get unsolicited advice, we get people telling us their opinion all the time, and we got to sit back and think, you know what? i got to ask the question, is this really from the Lord? That should be the most important question of all, because if it is... It doesn't really matter who the mouthpiece is. Maybe it's the father-in-law that I really get along with or I don't. Maybe it's a person that I really never would listen to before, but I relate that God is the one speaking through them. And so I need to take this advice. G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. All advice which we receive from men should be tested by remitting the same to God for ratification and amendment. We need to make sure God is the one that is Ultimately speaking to this person, that this is advice from him, not just someone's worldly opinion or thoughts, but this is something that the Lord wants us to take. Now, you might ask the question, was this Jethro's opinion or was this godly advice? We're going to see that Moses is going to take it, but, but should he have? Should, was this really something that the Lord was speaking through Jethro to tell Moses, hey, this is how you should do it? Well, I think the answer to that question is quite clear. If you go to Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 and 17, it says this. So the Lord said to Moses, now remember, now it's the Lord speaking, not Jethro. Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and I'll put the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. That advice sounds pretty similar to what Jethro just gave to Moses. And now a little bit later, God's going to come and give a very similar bit of advice. Moses go get 70 men, not just any, You need to know that they're elders and officers of the people. These are guys that they're proven. You know that they're these mature, godly guys. And notice what God does. Uh, These 70 men, I'm going to take the spirit that I put upon you, Moses, the spirit that has helped you lead, and I'm going to put it on these guys so that they also can do these things as well. And notice the reason that they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. That was the reason that Jethro brought up. Hey, Moses, doing this alone is not good. God's saying the same thing. Moses, doing this alone is not good. You need 70 guys to help you. So we're going to do that. So I would say, was Jethro's advice from the Lord? Yeah, because God brings up pretty much the same thing a little bit later. Well, now Jethro says in verse 23, hey, if you do this, if you delegate to these godly people, if you make these three things your priority, and ultimately you believe it's from the Lord, but you do it, there's going to be some benefits to that, Notice the first benefit, it's to Moses himself. You will be able to endure. Moses, if you do this, if you will stop spending morning to evening judging everything that comes your way, appoint other guys to do it, make prayer and teaching and being an example of priority, you will endure. You're not going to burn out. Now this is something Moses doesn't know. He doesn't know how much longer God has him in this role. I'm sure he did not think he was going to be doing this for 40 more years. He's got 40 years in the wilderness with these people, 40 years in leading in this capacity. And imagine if he tried to take every single judgment all day long for 40 years, he wouldn't make it probably one. And so what Jethro's bringing here is, you know what, you're going to endure And it was such a good thing for him to do because he does have this long ministry with these people and he would not have endured if he did not delegate to others to help him. D.L. Moody wrote this, it is better to set a hundred men to work than to do the work of a hundred men. Too many people in ministry are trying to do the work of maybe not a hundred men, maybe it's two men, maybe it's 10 men, maybe it's 20 men. But how much better to set 20 people to work or 10 people to work and just do the work of one person? Now, there's there's, there's different reasons, you know, for that. But this is something that is important to recognize. We got to delegate. The second benefit to delegating to other godly men, Jethro says, all this people will also go to their place in peace. Moses, right now, there's not peace Why? Because so many people aren't actually getting their situation judged. They're waiting on you because you're the only one doing it. If they had people over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, they would always have someone to come to immediately for judgment. And they could go home that same night in peace, not waiting six months to come see Moses. It's been said justice delayed is justice denied. And I'm sure many of those people would have felt that way. And I'm waiting way too long. Yeah, Moses, come on. I mean, come on. Well, we got to get more people in here. Yeah, well, if you do, it'll be a lot better for the people. And I'm sure that you have experienced as I have, the longer you wait to deal with the situation, typically the worse it gets. When you neglect something, it doesn't usually just magically get better. Actually, attitudes get worse, assumptions grow, things get more problematic. And so what was something that was small, and if it was dealt with that night, could have been dealt with easy. If you wait three months or six months, man, this is going to be some huge mountain that was just some tiny thing when it initially started. And so waiting is not good. So this is going to be really good for the people if he appoints other people to help so Jethro gives this advice he shares what Moses to do he shares the benefits that it will bring and now we're going to see Moses's response and to put yourself in Moses's place I mean he might be like yeah Thanks, father-in-law, but, you know, I got this. You know I mean? You might be a priest of Midian and, you will know, have a big flock of people. But, you know, I'm the one who's God's called person to, to oversee these millions of people. And and so we could see that, you know, perhaps Moses could be a little arrogant here and, and not kind of take the advice from his father-in-law. But let's see what he does in verse 24. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifty, rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father in law depart, and he went to his own land. So here Moses shows something very important. He was teachable. Hey, what do you know, Jethro? You just showed up today. What, what do you know about leading people? I haven't been doing this for a while now. And you don't understand what these kind of people are and how difficult they are. And I'm God's chosen man. And, you know, you just go home. You don't know what you're talking about. Moses was teachable. He was able to listen and notice to a person outside of Israel. I mean, this didn't come from some, you know, Joshua or some elders or some other Israelite. This came from the Midianites. This kind of came from outside the camp. But yet it was biblical truth. It was good for him. He was teachable and most likely sought the Lord to find out, Lord, is this really something that you want me to do? But he was willing to take this advice and to put it in practice. And we told, he tells us that he does this. He chooses the men. Just like Jethro says, pick these good men with these four qualities. And then notice that Moses gives certain ones different levels of authority. Not everybody can be a ruler over thousands, but I'm going to take you know the ones that are the most mature. They're going to have thousands, and then I'm going to have others over hundreds. And you guys are going to be over fifties, and you guys you are going to be over tens. But, but all of you are going to have leadership responsibilities, some more than others. But the bottom line is we're now going to be able to meet the needs of those who need judgment and when there's a really big one, bring it to me with the smaller ones you guys take care of and deal with. Now, I want to note a third benefit to this delegation that Jethro really didn't mention. And that's the benefit to these men who are placed in these roles of leadership. Because you know what? There was this untapped potential that was there in Israel that at the moment these guys weren't given the opportunity. They didn't have any of the leadership responsibility. Moses was doing it all. He was kind of a one man show. And so these guys aren't able to grow and use the giftings that God has given them in the way that they could. Now that Moses releases them to that, delegates to them, enables them to be able to be a part of these things and and serve the Lord and use their gifts, and it was a blessing to them. And you know what? Forty years from now, Moses is going to die. And if he was the one-man show, and you see this in some churches where you just got one guy doing everything for the whole ministry, and when he's gone, everything crumbles because there's nobody else who's been doing anything. There's nobody else who's there to take care of the people, who's there to invest in the people and to serve the people. And so as he's raising people up, when he's gone, he can pass it off to men like Joshua and others who are able to continue the work because he delegated it at this point in time. If you're doing the job of two people, then there is someone who isn't getting to do their job. So you're not only wearing yourself out, But you're cheating another person from getting to learn and grow in their ministry. You know, statistics show that the average church has about 10% of the people doing about 90% of the work. And there's different reasons to that. Some is just the sad reality of you got lazy consumers. They come to church for what they can get and that's it. They don't want to serve. They don't want to do anything. What do you have to offer me? I'll sit here and take and I'll leave and that's it. It's kind of the culture that we live in. And so because of that, you get people who aren't that way doing a lot of the work, and you get a lot of people who are that way doing nothing. But I think another side of the, the coin here is you have those in leadership who are just like, nope, we're not giving anything away. We're not willing to pass anything on, delegate anything to others. We're just going to do it all ourselves. And then you have people who could have opportunities to serve that don't and miss out on what the Lord would want to do through that. So after Jethro spends this time with Moses, after he gives this great advice to Moses, he departs, goes back to his home in Midian and his own land. And so here in chapter 18, Moses gets some great advice about leadership from his father-in-law. First, that leaders need to have three top priorities. You should have the priority of prayer, the priority of teaching the word of God, and the priority of living that out as an example And in order for that to be possible, you're going to have to delegate to people. And you need to delegate to people with specific qualities, especially within the church, if it's going to work. People who are able, who fear God, who are of truth, who hate covetousness. And when leaders lead this way, there are three great benefits. There's the benefit to the leader himself. He's not going to burn out because he's allowing other people to help. There's the benefit to those who are leading with them that they're getting to use their giftings. They're able to be used and serve the Lord and grow in that capacity. And it's a blessing to those who are being led where they can just be at peace, knowing that there's plenty of people investing in them, there to judge, there to help, there to be there for them, to meet the needs that they have. And so this is a great parallel to leadership in the church, leadership in the home, just good godly leadership. And hopefully we can take some good lessons So any thoughts you have on what we looked at tonight?